Welcome everybody to the White Noise Podcast. In today's episode, I've got Tony Bryant from Impilo Projects. Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you, Carter. It's a pleasure talking to you guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tony, happy to have you on and thank you so much for, for joining us today. Today, I want to cover a topic that's that's very important, and I think to everyone, especially at where we're at in this country, um, and actually around the world, it's, it's a very important topic that's been close to my heart for a while now, food security. And um, But before we kick that off, Tony, with today's topic, do you mind giving us a brief introduction to yourself and uh, Impilo Projects, please? Yeah, sure. Uh, obviously, my name is Tony Bryan. I think the introduction uh, told you that. Uh, I actually, I run a business called Impilu Projects, which started four years ago. Uh, basically, we were introduced uh, by a Dutch delegation that were visiting. We've got a multidisciplined organization uh, in uh, community social development, etc. And part of the delegation, there was a gentleman who uh, introduced himself. He's a BSc plant scientist. And he was very curious about our uh, our organisation, and he mentioned that he actually he grows commercially with aeroponic, uh, the aeroponic growing system in Holland. Now, uh, just as a matter of interest to your listeners, Holland is the second largest distributor of fresh produce in the world, behind the uh, USA. Uh, how do they achieve That's that? Incredible. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, actually, for those of you who don't know, uh, Holland is about the size of Kruger Park in South Africa. So the footprint <laughs> of Holland is actually quite small. And as you know, it's mainly reclaimed uh, land from the sea anyway. So how do they achieve that? How can they possibly be the second largest exporters of fresh produce in the world? Very simple, actually. It's called smart farming technology. Now, smart farming technology includes quite a few disciplines. You've got aquaponics, hydroponics, and now more recently, aeroponics. So aquaponics is basically the, uh, the system. It's a live fishing grow. It's, uh, they grow fish in a, in a controlled environment, and its fish waste is the nutrients that supplies a hydroponic system for giving the plants that you're growing the nutrients required for the plant for a healthy, basically organic growing system. So anyway, we were introduced to the system and uh, we took the step forward on bringing in a full turnkey greenhouse package with the aeroponic towers, because now we're talking about vertical growing. It's a tower, standalone tower, and basically you're growing vertically. There are side pockets, there are growing pockets in the tower, which allow you to plant into the pocket, which exposes, because it's a soilless system, which exposes the root structure of the plant within a chamber that's irrigated with a very fine mist. This is what aeroponics is. Aeroponics is a, is a very fine, it's anything between 30 and 50 microns. It's a pressure system, so in other words, the, the uh, water-based nutrient source is through high pressure from the pump through a very fine nozzle aperture, which creates a very fine mist within the chamber. That fine mist is then oxygenated. It's basically 100% oxygen trapped in the mist and the nutrient as well. So the mist attaches to the root structure of the exposed plant, of the roots exposed to the inner chamber, and the mist settles onto the roots. So the plant then uptakes the nutrients and the oxygen generated from the mist to accelerate the maturity and the growth of the plant. So basically that's aeroponics. So it's a fine oxygenated nutrient-based mist. Thanks for the description on aeroponics, Tony. Can you maybe give us a brief description on hydroponics as well? All right. Basically, hydroponics and NFT uh, are similar in their uh, in their nature. Uh, hydroponics is more of a of a flowing water over the root structure system. Uh, very well known. Very pref- 
very advanced in its uh, in its discipline. Uh, hydroponics has been uh, spoke about and well utilized specifically more over the last sort of 10, 20 years. So it is pro prolific in a lot of um, in a lot of growing disciplines within enclosures such as old warehouses, uh, um, um, enclosed buildings, that type of thing. Hydroponics is basically, like I explained, a flowing water-based nutrient um, source over the root structure. It's a recycling system. So in other words, mm. as it flows, it basically is returned back to the, uh, to the uh, start of the water source, the header tank, that type of thing. And yes, NFT yeah. is exactly the same thing in, a, in, a, in its own way. Again, NFT meaning nutrient film technology. So it's, a, again, either a drip system or a flowing water system over the root structure. Obviously, the difference between the aeroponics and the hydroponics is, is that the aeroponics only requires a, a slight irrigation time period because of the misting that attaches to the roots. Uh, as in any of these systems, both aeroponic and hydroponics, you have to have continuation of the hydration of the roots, otherwise the plant will fail. It relies mm. on the uh, on the water nutrient source to sustain the plant and obviously make the plant grow and produce the yields that it will through the system. So basically, hydroponics is uh, that that's the that's the basic basis of uh, what hydro, uh, hydroponics is and NFT. Yes. Okay. That's excellent. And then Tony, um, having said that with hydroponics and aeroponics, any interesting places, miss, maybe because, because these systems are enclosed and so light on water, do we see these system in, in these systems in desert areas and maybe even out in space? What do you have for me? All right. Well, look, uh, obviously you've touched on the point there where, um, aeroponics is used extensively. It has been for over 30 years now in the space station. Uh, NASA sort of created the system many years ago, and it is utilized specifically aeroponics on a horizontal growing bed uh, in the space station. It feeds the astronauts every single day. Um, hydroponics uh, obviously can't be really because of the gravity aspect. Uh, I think there's more technical um, sort of reasoning why they don't use hydroponics in, in the case of the space station, which is why they're using aeroponics. When you talk about uh, sort of uh, desert areas, again, hydroponics relies on continuation of the water source. So unless you have uh, substantial, shall we say, storage capabilities, uh, like say, for instance, in the desert, um, you're going to struggle with the uh, with the hydroponic setup, whereas with the aeroponics in those same conditions, because of the minimal water usage, the cycle times, uh, you're going to use a lot, lot, lot less water. So, I mean, it, it, the aeroponics in those type of conditions is probably the favorite out of the two uh, the two disciplines. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. I like that uh, this technology is actually. You say it's from this. Is it from the sixties or seventies, uh, Tony? Apologies. Yes, uh, it's as far back as the uh, as the seventies. Eh? It might even wow. be the mid sixties, from what I can recollect on my research. The aeroponic wow. discipline is not readily. Uh, it's not a discipline that's sort of abundant in the research aspect, which is why uh, we approached NASA because NASA actually created the. Sort of designed the aeroponic system in the early days, although they didn't make it open source, which is something that we're negotiating with them right now because their their information is obviously very advanced and uh, a collection of information over the many years. So yes, yes. Uh, they are willing. We are talking to them, and they uh, and they have sort of discussed about making it a bit more open source for people to understand what aeroponics exactly is. Yes. So, Tony, on, on that note, then, um, tell me a bit more about your towers, Pillar Projects. You've got, you've got nice ones. I, I recently bought the, the 16 tower, um, 16 pocket tower. And, and as we discussed, basically, if you're, depending on the plant size, you can add uh, two to three plants to each pocket. So, effectively. 
Yes, that's correct. We, it's what we call multi-planting. The, the towers are of vertical uh, design, although we, uh, we do have a horizontal design that we are developing. But the reason we went for the vertical towers is obviously so you can get very high yields, very high growth rates in a very small area. So the system we designed uh, is, is a modular system. So basically all clips together. There's no glues, no screws. The way we design the panel, it allows for uh, a lot of creativity. There's no uh, restrictions on what size tower you can build, both dimensionally in its, in its diameter and its height. That's the simplicity of the system. Uh, we injection mold the panels so that they can also be flat packed in its design as well. So they separate and flat pack for basic assembly when you receive the package. The materials we use are recycled plastic. It is a food grade and, uh, and UV stabilized. Uh, it's obviously very important, those two, two factors. So yet again, I'd just like to sort of mention that the, uh, the design is unique. It has been acknowledged. We've won international awards with the designs. Uh, yes. The simplicity of the design is, is one of the key. Oh, where's this happening? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, someone, someone wants you. <laughs> yeah. uh, did you get all of that so far? Yes. Okay. Yes. So the uniqueness of the design is very unique. Uh, obviously, we've had a lot of international interest because of the uniqueness of the design. We did patent the design, uh, obviously, to protect ourselves a little bit. But uh, again, sense. simplicity, simplicity, that's what it's all about. The beautiful thing about the modular design is we have got various sort of um, standard um, units that we put out into the marketplace, both for the residential and the commercial market. But what it allows you to do is start off on a small scale and the panels, you can buy the panels individually and actually build your tower progressively both in affordability and once you've sort of understood the system and the way it grows, uh, it allows you that option uh, at a very, very cheap cost to uh, exponentially grow the tower. So uh, it's a wonderful start. You can either add a starting kit or the full tower. Uh, your options are, are basically um, you, uh, unlimited. You can do, there's a lot you can do with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to my journey and I'll definitely be creating some content. So I'll send you the links as I create them. Yeah, I'm, I'm planning to actually, yeah, I'm actually planning to start recording this weekend and then edit the videos out. And then uh, from assembly right through to actually planting and multi-planting, I'll do little short videos so people can actually go there and reference the, the site itself and see how it works. So I'd like to just I'll... elaborate a little bit more on the multi-planting because I, I know your listeners, some of your listeners are going to be saying, what do they mean by multi-planting? Please, what can please you do elaborate, Tony. The, uh, the, uh, the, one of the statements I'd like to make about multi-planting is that you've got various cultivars. We've grown many, many, many different cultivars in the system. We like to use the pocket space because, I mean, uh, why not? That's what it's there for. Each plant that you plant is an individual plant. So if you've got the case of, say, something like a lettuce, a lettuce does require, you can only put one lettuce plantling in the pocket because the lettuce grows to a substantial size in a very short period of time. Whereas when you take things like, uh, just, uh, just off the top of my head, spring onions, chilies, peppers, you can actually put more than one plant into a pocket because the plant is an individual plant. So although it grows uh, as a mass in the pocket, it gives you higher yields. Uh, you get a, a bulkier plant growing out the pocket. Um, so uh, obviously for commercial, well, not just commercial, but for personal use, you can actually grow a very high, high volume in a very small space even in a very small tower. The 16 pocket tower that you, uh, that you purchased will actually grow up to uh, sort of 50, 55, 60 plants, depending on what you plant in there. But that is what multi-planting is about. 
So you can actually uh, put more than one plant in the pocket, providing the plants, uh, like I said, the difference between a lettuce and a chili plant for the, uh, yeah. for the volume of the plant is what, uh, what allows you to do multi-planting. Yeah, that's, that's good, Tony, and good to know about the multi-planting. So I'll definitely be trying that out. Yeah, uh, look, in the design of the, of the original tooling, because the panels are injection molded for their design, which allows the modular aspect. But in the design of the tooling, we allowed for the panel to be adjusted to a different angle on assembly, which will allow you to create unlimited design in the way the tower is built. Obviously, uh, I mean, I can give you square towers, round towers of enormous sizes and enormous heights. But with the aeroponic, the idea is then you have to encapsulate the lid and the, the base tank to obviously catch the, uh, the cycling of the, of the water usage that stays within the system. Because remember, we recycle everything that comes through the water source through the tower back into the water source and then it's recycled continually. So the only water, uh, the water source, water, uh, water nutrient based source is whatever is used is consumed by the plant during its growth period. That's the only water, you don't get evaporation, you don't get leakage loss because the towers are totally leak proof. So you you minimize in any potential water losses as you can imagine in a nursery environment or a field growing environment evaporation takes place and there's a lot of water loss just through general uh, that kind of general um, growing method whereas we've yes. created a system where it's continually recycled so the water and the water the water nutrient based source is only consumed by the plant that's why there's a dramatic saving on the amount of water usage for this type of growing. I'd like to give you an example. In mm. normal medium-based, that's a soil-based growing system, a lettuce, a traditionally a lettuce, can take anything between five to seven weeks before it gets to a, a reasonable size. In other words, 260, 280 grams but it consumes 70 liters of water for a plant that's grown in a medium. Wow. Our system only consumes for that same lettuce, to this, but in a quicker period of time for its maturity, we consume three liters. So now if you was to multiply wow. that on a commercial scale, just as a matter of interest, 100,000 lettuces and you're saving and you're saving, uh, let's say, 65 litres of water per plant, that transpires to six and a half million litres of water that you're saving to grow the same amount of plants in a less growing period, but you're saving six and a half million litres of water for 100,000 lettuces. So that is the comparison between normal field growing environments, medium-based growing environments, against the more smart farming technologies. This is how Holland achieves such high yields and high amounts of produce with smart farming technology. Wow, that, that's incredible. Because what I was thinking as well, as, as you were talking and explaining this to me, a few factors when you have a medium or a soil like you say you pour the water on and in general it, it goes down um the roots only absorb a fraction of that water and the rest kind of goes into the ground and and, and downwards cool. and then you've got the sun as well evaporating the water usually if you've got open systems so and and then if you add a bit of wind to that it <laughs> the evaporation goes up so this closed system is actually brilliant in the regard that it, it doesn't have any of that issues and it's so efficient. And another thing that I was thinking is some, some soil types have a certain pH level or there might be some, some bugs in the ground or, or funguses or, or some bad stuff that, that might affect the growth of your plants. I take it the, 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 the um, aero and hydroponic, you, you bypass that problem basically or... 
You do. No, you're quite correct. The, 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 again, I don't like doing direct comparisons, but this is purely for knowledge now because we're introducing disciplines here that people are not aware of. So we're creating an awareness about how mm. technology is moving on. And the awareness is important to people to understand it. Now, the again, with the flowing water system over the root structure, you can get exposure to bacteria and pathogens because the water is exposed in those type of systems. In a closed system, you are far less subject for things like bacteria and pathogens. Okay, so mm. the plant is healthier. It's there's no insecticides, no fertilizers, there's no chemical additives to enhance the growth of the product. Our nutrients alone are all natural soluble minerals off the periodic table. Now we've been very fortunate with a consultant, he's a, one of the top soil scientists in the country, and he developed the formula for us. So he, he created a formula that's got 14 natural soluble minerals off the periodic table, key elements that help the, stimulate the plant, to mature the plant quickly and give it higher nutritional values. Now, irrespective of what people think, if you're spraying insecticides on your plants in open fields and that to control the pest and the bacteria, etc., that plant absorbs the chemicals, uh, the chemicals and the pesticides involved to control uh, the loss. In other words, through natural elements, bugs, pests, etc. That plant genetically absorbs those chemicals. You can wash a plant that's been chemically treated as many times as you like. You're only cleaning the surface of the plant. You're not getting to the, the, uh, the nature of the plant, the, the, the makeup of the plant. It's already absorbed the pesticides and the chemicals. So the plant is actually ingrained with those pesticides and chemicals used. Look, they're a necessity in those type of environments. Otherwise, you'll never grow anything because the 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 pests and the and the uh, that are, that uh, attack the plants that feed off the plants would just destroy your crop on a daily basis. So you have to treat those type. You have to have a treatment for those kind of pests, but they're chemical based. It's the only thing that works for them to get rid of the pests so that they don't lose the plants. So interestingly enough, again, I go back to the point where if you've got a controlled environment where you're preventing that type of, of potential, um, potential loss of your plants through natural elements, if you're eliminating that factor, then there's no need for pesticides and chemicals. Hmm. That makes sense. Um, so, so let's say, like you mentioned, you've got a controlled environment. It's relatively easy. You 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 premix the, the 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 nutrients in your water. You add it to your system. Uh, you activate it, and it, it it goes and and it does its thing. Okay. What is the what is the maintenance on these, Tony? Um, how does one maintain it? How regularly does one maintain it? And and what are the steps involved to to make sure? Because obviously, you mentioned that. You know, there's always bacteria everywhere that you go. Even let's yeah. say I get my system and I clean it out well, I can assume with weeks or months use, there would be some kind of residual buildup maybe inside of the system. Or, or what's your experience been in, in that regard, Tony? Okay. And, and what's the normal kind of best practice with these systems regarding maintenance and cleaning it out and all of that fun stuff? All right. Uh, that's a very good question. And there's a very simple answer to that. On the mechanical side of the system, we've got one moving part, and that's the pump. Whether it's an NFT system or whether it's the high-pressured system, you've got a mechanical pump that actually is required to get the water source through the spraying nozzle, through the misting nozzle. So that's the only moving part on the actual system. The only time we've experienced any kind of issues with pump failure, because the pumps we use, are, well, not just us, everybody, are very reliable. The only time you have 
pump damage is through mechanical failure. Mechanical failure can be where the pump runs dry because remember, these pumps rely on the water source through the pump itself to uh, before they, no water means the pump runs dry. When the pump runs dry, it burns the pump bell. So that's a negligence factor and that's all it is. It's not a mechanical failure through the design of the pump. It's more negligence where the pump has to be lubricated through the water source going through the pump. It relies on it for lubrication. As far as maintenance goes, the maintenance, we've got filtering systems obviously within the system because when you take the initial plant, the plantlings, the seedlings that you're planting into the system are generally grown in a medium-based uh, environment. In other words, the seed is planted in what they call a, a, a mineral, uh, sorry, um, a medium base, which can be a bit of soil. It can be, there's, there's numerous ways you can germinate a seed. Now, when we take the plant in, we wash the growing medium off the roots because obviously the roots have now uh, established themselves, the stem of the plant and the canopy of the plant through the growing medium. So while the roots are growing in the growing medium, the medium gets trapped between the roots. So you gently, you soak the plant in, in a water source and gently massage the root structure to release the medium from the roots. So now you're exposing the roots because you want the roots exposed for, in our case, aeroponics or NFT. Now you don't get all the growing medium out of the plants because it gets trapped in the density of the root structure. So now the plant is now planted in the pocket. So there's a, a slight residue of growing medium. As the plant grows and the roots grow, it releases the medium that was trapped because the roots are now growing. So as the roots grow, the medium comes out with the roots. It then goes into the water source. But we designed a system where we've got a sediment catchment area within the tank. So in other words, because the growing medium is heavier than water, it sinks to the bottom of the tank. And we've collected, a, a, we, we designed a recess where the growing medium sits in the recess so that the pump doesn't take up the medium into the nozzles and block, it, block the nozzles. But on top of that, we created very good filters that prevent any slight residue. Obviously, some of the roots will eventually fall off the plant. It's nature, it's what it does. Now the roots go into the water source. So as the pump is drawing the water source through the pump up to the nozzle, it will try and pull in the, uh, shall we say, the dead roots. So mm. the filtering prevents that from happening, from preventing your nozzle from clogging. Because the nozzle aperture is so fine, it doesn't take a lot to clog it if there's a floating medium within the water source. So the filters prevent that from happening. And we designed a very simple filtering system that prevents things like a little bit of loose growing medium, a little bit of roots, maybe the odd leaf or whatever has happened to fall into the water source. So effectively, to answer your question, the maintenance uh, on, the, on the growing system could be uh, once a month, once every two months. It depends on what you're growing how often you change in the plants. So we always, we've got a, a very simple uh, maintenance program, which we always put with the unit when we sell the unit to explain that you get access to the filter, which is very simple. And if you see a buildup of, of a, a medium or dead roots, you can simply wash the filter so it's clean again. So now you've got rid of all of that buildup onto the filter that would prevent the flow of the water going up to the nozzle and obviously prevent the the roots or the growing medium trapping in the aperture of the nozzle so it's a very basic uh, maintenance system that's very infrequent but it is a necessity somewhere during the life of your growing cycle whether it's a month two months depending on what you're growing and how often you replace the plants. Yeah, Everything has yeah. been simplified for minimal, minimal maintenance. 
Oh, that's that's good. I always say if you make something idiot proof, uh, <laughs> you can scale quite quickly and you can scale um, at a massive rate because once you take the difficulties out of it and, and make things like I mentioned, idiot proof, you know, you've got a bigger market that can tap into this and, and participate because it's not that easy to actually, in this case, kill your plants because once you follow very basic instructions, it seems, um, you you can actually have some nice plants within, within well, quite a short time span, um, which which is great. And then another question that I had, Tony, is these these systems. So I see on the website there's one standing in a garden as well for the indoor people that might not have. I, I take my um, apartment as an example. I probably I want to do some indoor growing because I've got quite wild winds here some days and and especially when the plants are younger um i take it one can supplement this system with uh, uh, a uv system to help help the plant growth if you don't get a lot of sun what what's what's your solution on that side okay growers. the the video you saw was actually a client of ours uh, actually a well-known personality warren brosnian the ex-rugby springbok rugby player he actually did that video. Uh, he's a he's a fondie on this. He really enjoys it. He gets a lot of pleasure out of it. So out of his own back, he said, please, he'd like to just do a small video. So when he showed you the unit, he actually took it outside just for the just to do the video aspect for the light and that. He grows indoors. Most of the units, we don't recommend that the unit stands out outside in an outside environment without some kind of shall we say um, uh, protection in the form of a maybe a shade net frame around the unit because mm. you can go outside it's not the issue that's not the problem here but you want to protect the plants from things like insects from birds from well you'd be surprised the uh, the amount of uh, if it was a standalone outside unit, you basically feed in the uh, the natural elements uh, that are flying around the birds, like I mentioned, the insects, etc. So in that particular case, that video obviously was just done to show the people who might be interested what he's achieving in his little units. It was a very cute video that he did for us, but we get a lot of that from our customer base. They're very proud of what they achieve and how much they're enjoying it. So they like to let us know with either a little video, photographs. That's the kind of, of client base that we, uh, we've established with our systems. You know, people like to show off, say, look what I'm doing for the first time in my life. I'm actually growing food. You see, what we've established as well is that the people who are fortunate to have a bit of a garden area, they plant, uh, they nurture. I mean, uh, as you know, outside growing requires a lot of attention, the weeds and the pests, etc., etc. It doesn't take long for people that maybe have a pest problem. They lose the crop. They've been nurturing it for the last four, six, eight weeks. And then all of a sudden they've had a hailstorm or a heavy flood in, or they get in a drought situation where they can't irrigate the plants. They lose the plants and they lose interest. So where you can grow inside, uh, in, in your case, in a, in a, where you've got restriction of a garden area, this system allows you to grow within your environment. The thing that we ask for is the plant needs natural light. For mm. people who have got a dark environment, in other words, they might be in a, in a sort of a flat scenario and they might be south facing instead of north facing. So they've got limited light coming into the, uh, in their environment. You can actually add something called a full spectrum light. Very, very cheap these days. They're getting cheaper and cheaper. And a full spectrum light consists of a red and a blue light. The blue light stimulates the portion of the blue light stimulates the plant, the root, uh, the plant root, the stem, and the canopy. The red light develops the canopy and enhances the growth of the plant. And in the case of berry plants, or chilies, or peppers, or fruit-bearing plants, it actually accelerates and stimulates the fruitation of the plant. Now, the 
in the case you mentioned earlier, the marijuana growers are very pedantic about a controlled environment for that type of plant. So they use a lot of full spectrum lighting in a controlled environment. And uh, there's a lot of benefits to it. You can actually have, if you've got a reasonable uh, light growing area, in other words, daylight growing, you can enhance the plant growth in both its yields and the, and the growth of the plant physically with an extra six hours of full spectrum lighting. Now, full spectrum lighting comes in several forms, but mainly LED. And LEDs these days are getting cheaper and cheaper and more affordable. So there are cases where people like to grow. You're extending the, the growth of the plant by an extra six hours because you created this light around the system, which helps the plant and stimulates the plant to grow for a third, further six hours over and above the natural light it gets during the day. So uh, full spectrum lighting is a wonderful thing if you're in a situation where you'd like to use it, where you need to use it. The affordability, the running of the lights is very cheap because they are LEDs, but it is definitely an advantage to have that extra growing period in the latter part of the day into the evening because the plant is still responding. It's getting the natural, it's getting the full spectrum, the photosynthesis of the plant is getting, it's getting it from the LED lighting. So the plant carries on. Now, another point I'd like to bring up is that it is important that you allow the plant to sleep in the later part of the evening. A plant is like a child. If you nurture the plant, you give it the correct nutrients, the correct, yeah, the nutrients and the lighting and the, and you look after that plant, that plant will react accordingly. So mm. we encourage for the people that uh, as, an old, as an extra bonus to get themselves a little, they call them plant grow lights. It's a full spectrum light, red and blue. That's it, simple as that, very cheap to run, but very beneficial for the maturity of the plant, the yield of the plant, and the quality, the nutritional value of the plant. It all contributes towards that. Yeah, that, that's, that's very interesting, Tony. And then, like, with regards to the light, so there's one trick question maybe here for me. <laughs> the structure of these are square or round. So is it, do I need to kind of slightly rotate it? So let's say I put one light source uh, either from the top or from the front. Um, do I rotate the, the, the contraption a bit? Like every, every, every few days, I, I turn it by a few angles. So all the plants get nice light throughout the day. Or if I've got a singular, let's call it LED shining on it. How does one manage that light, lighting issue if you've got one source and it generally comes from one angle? How does one manage that? All right. Generally, uh, look, in the case of an individual tower, uh, if you wanted the, the lighting completely around the tower, you'd have to buy several lights. In the case where you've only got one light, the tower comes with a rotary stand. So in other words, the tower sits in a in a turntable stand. It's a very simple basic stand with wheels on it. So you would basically, if you only had one light, you will actually see if you left that light on the one side of the tower in the evening, just for one week, you would actually see the growth of the plant and the enhancement of the plant on that one side of the tower that is exposed to the full spectrum lighting. So the reason for the wheels, there's, a, there's twofold here. It allows you to rotate the tower in the case of commercial farming, where you can rotate the tower to maintain the plant, to harvest the plant. The other benefit is, obviously, if you've got a one light scenario, in other words, only half the tower is getting the full spectrum lighting, you can turn the tower every 24 hours. 180 degrees so that the plant is getting the plants on both sides of the tower are getting exposed to the additional benefit of the full spectrum lighting but it's a very good question and yes again you'll find that there are various 
plant disciplines like the marijuana, for instance, their full spectrum lighting is completely 360 degrees around the town. Because remember, they're growing commercially, specifically more mm. for the CBD oils, because obviously I think there's a lot of people out there that understand the benefits of CBD oil, how it's now the new wonder drug of the world. It's got so many beneficial factors. So there's a lot of people growing cannabis for the CBD oil and personal consumption as well. As we know, there is another factor, the THC aspect of the plant, which gives people a lot of pleasure. So in those particular cases where it's a controlled environment, because for marijuana, they do have a controlled environment. In other words, the temperature within the structure, irrespective of what the structure is, it can be a double garage, it can be an old warehouse, it can be a very high-end, uh, beautiful greenhouse so in their particular case, they get the maximum benefit of full spectrum lighting in a controlled environment where the temperature is controlled morning till night, 24-7, 365 days a year. When we talk about the residential aspect of it, you know, they're growing for self-consumption usage, maybe extracting the CBD oils, because you do get a lot of home growers. With the legislation, they are allowed, obviously, to grow a certain amount and there are people out there that process the plant for the cbd oils so again it's 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 not really the the you've got to understand that there are different levels and different control environments for the type of produce that you're growing self-consumption it's an overkill because we're talking to just give you some uh, sort of a loose stat, we've 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 established because remember now we're with the uh, we've got the University of Pretoria that are doing a lot of R and D on the vertical growing of uh, with our towers and aeroponics specifically, and they're trialing all this all these different ways of growing. Uh, they're trying very exotic plants, medicinal plants, normal. Uh, uh, daily consuming plants, you know, your leafy greens, your your fruits, etc., etc. Now, they the so we've got that end of the scale, and then we've got the residential end of the scale, where it's just daily consumption, where you're growing to sustain yourself. It's sustainable food security for self consumption. So we have got distinct markets that we address, that we service from personal consumption to large-scale commercial uh, growing. So you, your question is very, sort of say, uh, it's got a, a wide range of application. So as a grower, you're either growing for self-consumption or commercial uh, for commercial growing. That's when you start to decide what kind of system, how high on the uh, controlled environment you want to go. Obviously, the more uh, the more uh, advanced the uh, the controlled environment is, the more cost is involved. Everything's cost related, so we can we cater for the very entry level, self-sustainable food security, right up to obviously high-end uh, cultivar growing in a controlled environment. Yeah. And, and, and one thing uh, maybe that you can elaborate on, Tony, is, is that collaboration with uh, the university. If you can maybe elaborate on that, how did that come to be and, and what you guys hope to achieve there and, and what do they hope to achieve? Because this is a collaborative effort, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, that's you, absolutely, might yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's a wonderful thing for us. Uh, we presented the aeroponics to the Academia of the Plant Sciences of University of Pretoria. Uh, when they saw the system, uh, they sort of aware of it, but not really aware of it. They weren't exposed to it. So when we exposed them to it, they were very excited about the prospect of doing research and development on aeroponics and the benefit of aeroponics. In this particular case, the, uh, the system that we've got, we actually grow on a rooftop on the fifth floor of a rooftop area of the plant science buildings in the main university. So uh, what happened was we, we had funding by the IDC, the Industrial Development Council, 
to actually they sponsored the full operation for R and uh, D for the next five years. Now the Pretoria University have introduced their PhD, their BSc. They've just recently added their second and third year students, their postgraduates and undergraduates in agriculture. Now, obviously, these students haven't been exposed to this kind of thing before, but it's very exciting for them. So we went onto the rooftop about uh, a year ago. We uh, commissioned the system. We had it running. They started planting. They started playing. Now, the idea with the we've got an MOU with them for five years, but we insisted that the information that they collected ab about their research and development was made accessible to us. So in other words, their students, when they plant, they measure the plant, they use different kinds of water, desalinated, borehole water, polluted water, rivered water, acid-based water, etc. So they play with the system to understand how the plants react to those type of environments. Then they, then they expose the plants to what they call uh, water, not water starvation, uh, water stress, where the plant doesn't get water for a certain period of time. Because remember, we've got timers on the system that allow for the irrigation times. So you can irrigate the plant for 20 minutes, leave it off for an hour, the cycle time kicks in for another 20 minutes, you can play with it. So the idea was for them to play with the system and in their research and development. They're playing with cross-pollination, uh, DNA, nutritional values, the water sources, the different nutrients, the different type of plants. They stress the plants. And the reason they do this is they fail the plant to find a solution for corrective measures and preventative maintenance of the plant. That's the idea of what they're doing. They want the plant to fail in extreme conditions and then find a solution, a very simple cost-effective solution to prevent the plant failing under those conditions. So you can understand this isn't an overnight thing. That's why it's a five-year program. Now, in that, we introduced IoT, Internet on Things. Now, IoT measures the humidity values, the ambient temperatures outside the greenhouse, inside the greenhouse, the, uh, the light, the spectrums of the light in the greenhouse under normal uh, daylight conditions. They've got additional uh, full spectrum lighting because they need to understand how the plant reacts in all those different kind of conditions. Now, this is monitored on a daily basis. Every 30 seconds, that information is inputted into a cloud-based server so that at the end of the day, they can recall all that data and check the effect of the plant, the growth of the plant on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis, all that information they collect. And the end of the story is there, is, is that they're actually doing a thesis, the first thesis certainly in Africa on aeroponics. And as far as we're aware in all our research, possibly the world. So they're very excited to be involved in the development, not only of the aeroponics discipline, but the amount of information they can get out of the system, both in the water sources, the plant growths, et cetera, et cetera. And all that information is what they download and basically um, refine and, and put into a, a final, into a final thesis. So that's a very successful, and just as a matter of interest, the younger generation associate agriculture with gumboots overall sitting on a tractor for 14 hours a day, seven days a week. Obviously, the, uh, the newer generations are more advanced with, obviously, the, the social media aspect. They're not physical workers as such. So... Their agricultural students over the years have been declining because of the association with the manual labor involved in agriculture. However, since now we've we put the system on top of plant science, it's also a recreational area for the students when they want to have a bit of lunch and a bit of quiet time, they work on their laptops, etc., and the academia. 
they've been exposed to the greenhouses in full operation with the plants growing, etc. So it's stimulated interest from general students, from engineering to all the different types of disciplines that are involved, but it's a recreational area for them. This year alone, they've had the biggest intake of agriculture associated um, students. The biggest intake ever, purely because of the smart farming technology that they've been exposed to. So it's very encouraging to know now that they see a potential contribution uh, for their skills. Uh, obviously, they're going to be qualified in, in everything associated with agriculture, which I think is a wonderful thing. You know, it's something that we need. I mean, here's another stat for you. In 1988, there were 135,000 farmers in South Africa. In 2020, there's 35,000 farmers now only producing food. That's incredible. Inevitably, in well, well, South Africa has its own unique challenges. It's not unheard of um, as time goes on for for the amount of farmers to diminish because your economy evolves. You've got the tertiary and and and, and secondary sectors growing more service kind of um, economy and then advances in agriculture most probably also helps produce more. And obviously some people, the younger people, don't see agriculture maybe as such a sexy endeavor. But for me, this this technology is actually amazing. And I think like like you I think the intake intake can attest to it's it's making agriculture a viable option. And and on that vein, before we close this off, and 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 I'd love to have you on again because there's so much to talk about. Have you done so so any interesting projects? I see the advent of urban gardens these days, where it can either be the rooftops. I see some uh, some tunnels being repurposed, some interesting structures being repurposed, warehouses are being repurposed for aero or hydroponics. Um, and, and, and to grow vegetables. And I see in the stores as well, you can actually see which lettuces were grown um, via aeroponics or hydroponics. I'm not sure, but you can see some of those with their roots exposed. Usually those are case in point. They literally pull them out of the systems, pack them and send them to the supermarkets. And these are usually urban growers. That's can you correct. maybe elaborate more on that? All right. Now I'm going to give you a classic example of what we've achieved just recently with a, with a project that we're, we're currently busy commissioning. It's a shopping centre in Santon, as it turns out, and it's a rooftop area. Now we've got two disciplines going on on that rooftop area. So in other words, the rooftop of the shopping centre is dead area. In other words, you've got a few air conditioning uh, uh facilities on the top, you know, the general sort of roof mounted, um, uh, what do I want to call it now, services. So you've got floor space on the top of a building that's doing nothing. These guys have now put up a tunnel. It's a dual discipline. It's both the hydroponics and aeroponics combined. Now what they've achieved there is they're growing fresh produce on this rooftop. In a, in a in basically a basic tunnel so it's a tunnel frame with a shade net over the top of it obviously to regulate the lights and the insects and the birds etc etc now the line shops within the shopping center there's uh, several restaurants within that uh, within that environment high-end restaurants as well as it turns out but they've guaranteed the buy-off of the fresh product logistically they just simply go up onto the roof, they crop the t fresh produce directly off the growing systems, straight to the patron, the customer of the restaurant, fresh off the roof within an hour, half an hour. Logistically, it's well-placed because it's within the environment where their businesses are, okay? There's a big drive towards that these days. They're, they're using underutilized areas, roof areas, for growing fresh produce. It's a win-win situation. In their particular case, they've also allowed for public access, for people to actually experience the, the fresh produce growing in a rooftop environment, and they're prepared to sell fresh produce 
to the patrons of the uh, of the shopping centre. So in other words, people are, are, are getting a first-hand experience of actually cutting their own produce from a living plant, fresh off the towers or the growing systems, home with fresh, fresh produce. Now I've got another scenario where we've got a, a student, University of Johannesburg, they've got a residential block where they've also got, they've just recently installed a roof growing area there for the students. So they're actually, the students within that environment are looking after the system and growing their own produce for consumption. So urban growing is becoming a big thing because the floor space is available on the top of buildings. A lot of the buildings are flat roof buildings. So there's a strong move towards urban growing on dead floor areas, if that's what you want to call it, with food security systems. So that is actually happening and it's happening at an exponential rate now. There's an awareness of it and a lot of the, uh, shall we say, the uh, owners of the buildings, the developers of the buildings are moving more and more towards it because it's an additional bonus to the tenants of the building to be able to get access to food security. The other key thing you must never forget is that it's a sustainable growing system. In other words, it's not dead money, it generates income. The sustainability besides the food security aspect is the key word. It needs to be self-sustainable. And this is what's happening with both hydroponics and aeroponics. That's what the driving part about it is right now. That's why there's so much interest in it. But let's not forget as well with the population explosion going on worldwide, 90% of the countries worldwide have got a strong mandate to develop food security for the future, purely because of the population explosion. Population explosion actually consumes land or food growing areas, open fields, etc., etc., because they need the space to accommodate the population growth. So less space, less growing area. So now the emphasis is to use existing growing areas, floor space, which is dead space. This is what it's all about at the end of the day. That, wow, that's, that's some interesting advancements. And as you mentioned, is this is a multidisciplinary um, kind of field. So obviously you've got your, your plant scientists, I take it your botanists, um, what other fields work closely? You mentioned IoT earlier, so I take it there's there's some computer scientists also involved. Um, How do you see? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah yes. So now, look, you know what? At the end of the day, Carter, and to your listeners out there, there is a lot of people haven't or have always wanted to grow their own food in one form or another. There's various factors that sort of shall we say, cause a hiccup during that thought process. The, all the new sort of smart farming technologies introduce, like your IOTs, like your, your professionals, the new, the new generations that's coming through that are genetically, in some cases, genetically modifying the plant for the conditions. Our climate's changing, our seasons are changing, because... Let's not forget as well, we've got a 365-day growing season. We're not restricted to one growing system of a specific species of plant. And to give you an idea on that, the Southern Hemisphere has got a growing season for things like herbs, like your basils, your corianders, your parsley, between May and generally September, October. Then because there's a demand for, in this particular case, herbs, you get your retailers that actually purchase the growing season from the Northern Hemisphere because now our season has finished on large scale operations in normal growing environments. So they import the product. And I'll give you a, 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 just a, a sort of a, a financial aspect. Generally, in our growing seasons here, things like say, for instance, I'll take basil as a classic example. 
normally retails at around about 110 rand a kilogram off the shelf, a kilogram. Out of season, it's now 550 rand a kilogram. How does it jump up so high? You've got cold chain, air freight, logistics. There's so many additional cost factors to get the produce back onto the shelf, but there's a demand for it. So people who really want it are prepared to pay. But that's the extremity of from 110 rand a kilogram in season to 550 kilograms out of season. So we've, we've now got systems that can grow non-seasonally, in other words, throughout the year. And I've got a beautiful, and I'm going to introduce you to it now because it's, it's the first time it's been done in South Africa. Our horizontal, we designed a combination unit, which is the vertical walls that are, we created a system that grows vertically on the side walls and the end walls, because we created an oblong type of uh, growing tower. On the horizontal aspect of the tower, we grow tubers, potatoes. You want to see what's happening. The potatoes are growing. The potatoes grow off the roots of the plant, not the uh, the canopy you've got the canopy of the potato which obviously gets pollinated which allows the tubers to grow on the roots so the roots are suspended in this environment but the tubers are growing on the roots and for anybody out there that's interested go to youtube and look up aeroponic potato growing it will blow your mind they're achieving high yields the potatoes are not exposed to fungal uh, and bacteria and pathogens, which is a big problem with ground growing of potatoes. And here's another interesting fact. A field that grows potatoes can only be used once every three years. Because of the nutrient uptake of the potato, the, plant, uh, the, the soil is depleted of all those nutrients. So only every three years can they replant in the same soil of the original crop. Now we've eliminated that. We've now got a system that will grow 365 days a year continually. And then you clone the plant. So you take a cutting off the plant. You simply put the cutting into the growing pocket. The, the stem of the plant is now exposed to the nutrient and the irrigation, and it develops roots. So you, you are actually uh, cloning from the plant, you've now gone away from growing germinating the plant because you're cloning from the plant. It's wow. it's just opening up a whole new outlook on how to grow produce and cost effectively. Yeah, that's wow. That's something. Hey, that's taking it to a next level. <laughs> well, I can tell you in the next three four weeks. We've, we've, we've been doing a, a timeline. So we've been watching the plants grow in the last couple of weeks. The development of the roots is incredible. We're expecting tubers on the plants in the next three to four weeks. And I'm doing a video specifically for the website as well and for interested parties of the development of the plant from when we first planted up to it's actually giving the yields. And the <clears throat> in all our research, there are... Uh, the Indians and the Asians, Turkey, very big into aeroponic potatoes. They're achieving yields of each plant, anything between 1.4 and 2 kilograms of potato on each plant. And while the plant is growing, they're cloning the plant, ready for the next, uh, ready for the next planting of that clone. Because now, while the potato is growing, you've taken a piece of the canopy, you're developing the root structure on it, three, four weeks, it's ready for transplant. So you've got a continuation of the growing season. It just continually, you just continually cloning and feeding the system with new plantlings for new, new, new uh, plant growth, crop growth. So very exciting times and watch this page because in the next four to five weeks, I'll be able to actually feedback to you on what we're achieving on the yields and the quality of in this particular case the potatoes well i'd love to have you on again and i think there's much more to discuss so I'll, i'm looking forward to that so once you get the information i think we can we can do a live session and then people can ask about this as well it should make for interesting 
session. Yes, absolutely. I'd be more than happy to do that. More than happy. Well, Tony, thank you so much. We'll definitely have another discussion. There's so much more to discuss and on, on many fronts. And, uh, and, and thank you for coming on to this show. I'll send you the link. If there's any resources you want me to include, obviously I'll include Impilo Projects. Uh, where else can people find you? Where, where are you guys very active on? Uh, look, we're basically... Uh, oh, sorry, that didn't happen. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's a great uh, outro, by the way. <laughs> uh, he's gonna, he's gonna try again. Uh, so, no, Tommy. No, 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 no. Sorry. Uh, no worries. Yeah, it's uh, a young, it's part of my family. Okay. Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, the website www.impiluprojects.com. That's our main source of very interesting website lots of videos on there lots of technical information for the technical funders uh, carbon to that information by the way came from nasa they were kind enough to disclose when we approached them we said look we're an ngo from africa da, 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 da. and they uh, they sent us some information we wrote back and we said you know what this should be open source will you consider it and they did respond and they said they They've taken it under consideration and they're looking at it quite seriously. So all their years of research, technical information, uh, we're hoping that they're going to meet their obligation and put it out as open source. So the website is very informative. There are a lot of obviously pictures of all the different cultivars we've grown, the various projects we've got. We've got one or two private projects which we, we're happy to boast about. The disabled community, we've got a beautiful video of a young girl who has no arms and only one working limb. And that's basically the two toes on her left foot. And she's totally self-sustainable on growing produce with the system. We developed the system, she's wheelchair bound. So the system is designed for her to be able to get access to the tower. And she physically prunes and plants the plants with two toes on one working foot. It's an incredible video, and I really recommend people have a look at that. It pulls a few heartstrings. It's, it's beautiful to watch. I, I'll add that video onto the link as well. So yeah, I, I, think it, I think it'd be worth it. I mean, the yeah, I'll, I'll directly link it. I've never been exposed to being able to, as you can imagine, in, in days of old, they were never in a situation where they could uh, apply themselves to do something like that. But with new technologies these days, even that part of the market is going to be, have access to it and successfully and successfully be self-sustainable.